0: Hi, good morning. Oh, good morning. All right, we're going to start off with a notice by the European Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Malaysia is setting tongues wagging after first informing its members to prepare for a complete economic shutdown and then retracting the statement. What was the initial idea behind this economic shutdown?
1: Well, first of all, I think the uh, statement came out on Sunday afternoon. And by Sunday evening, Eurocham came up with a statement saying that Yes, they did have a discussion with MITI, the Ministry of International Trade. That was an informal discussion, and yes, during the discussion, they did speak about you know the high number of cases, even though we are almost two weeks into the MCO but they denied that there was discussion about an immediate lockdown after February 4th. So I think the idea behind an economic shutdown or the idea of a total economic shutdown because we are partially shut down right now is because we are still seeing high number of cases and uh, many COVID-19 cases or the clusters have been associated uh, with factories, construction sites and other places of work. So during this meeting Eurochamp clarified that METI did understand score that was this heightened sense of urgency. And given the high number of cases, businesses need to do more to ensure SOPs are in place and they are complied with. No mention of immediate lockdown after February 4th. So that's what they had clarified so far.
2: But it means if it's a real total economic shutdown, Mm. what does that mean? Well,
1: it appears that it would be that case. So uh, the difference between this current MCO is more businesses are allowed to operate, even SMEs like stalls, the Machi pachi stalls on the side of the road. So they are allowed to run their business. The difference is, I think back in March till May, they were during the first MCO, the cost of the lockdown was 2.4 billion ringgit a day to the country. Yeah. In comparison, the government expects that the country will lose about 600 million ringgit this time around hmm. daily due to MCO 2.0, which is significantly much lesser, but clearly still a huge impact to the economy. And five sectors are still open, including what I mentioned, SMEs and uh, Mm stalls. So it's a tough one because it is tremendously challenging to balance between lives and livelihoods. I don't think any country in the world has got it right yet. And every country, they are still battling COVID-19. So I think we need to continue what we are doing, which is to adhere to SOPs, flatten the curve, And that's why it's imperative for business community to take steps to avoid another full Lockdown, which means they have to be strict with uh, SOP compliance because a lot of these clusters are associated with uh, workplaces. Just going
0: back to what you're saying about the sort of the change in how much it's costing daily at 600 million. Um, yeah. If we were to tighten up everything again, would we be going back to losing 2.4 2. Billion, billion, so, yeah.
1: billion a day? Is yeah. that what we're looking at? I think if we were to go back to that, I think, yeah, mm. that we possibly, I think businesses are more prepared this time around. More businesses have digitalized. I think that's one of the positives that came out of the pandemic lockdown is uh, there has been an acceleration of digitalization as a whole for businesses because you have no choice. You have to get online. So maybe businesses are more prepared, but the cost to the country would be significantly higher if we were to go into a full lockdown again.
0: So let's move on to the SOP violations. In Pataling Daya on Saturday, police arrested 550 people for violating standard operating procedures of the movement control order, said Senior Minister Datuk Sri Ismail Sabri-Yakob. Of the number, he said four. 499, 9, 499 were slapped with compounds, while 42 were remanded with nine given bail. Hmm. Among the offences committed were failure to wear masks, right? No social hmm. distancing, interstate travel without permission, failure to record customers' details, and operating beyond permitted sort of times. What are the ramifications going to be if people still continue to flout SOPs?
1: Well, the ramifications would be if people continue to flout SOPs, cases are going to stay high and mco will be in place and we can't get onto our lives but you know um yeah certainly like many ramifications no refusal to wear masks no social distancing this is means that you risk not only yourself to be infected And if you are infected, you risk of infecting others. And this could severely dampen efforts to flatten the uh, curve. And this has a knock-on effect on the economy, as I mentioned. If the cases do not come down, the longer we will be in MCO. Bad for the economy, bad for you and me. Our jobs, our livelihood, not to mention our health is on the line. So I think to beat COVID-19, it's a constant reminder. It has been the past year. You can't expect KKM to do it for you. You have to do it yourself, right? Mm. And there hasn't been a drastic decrease in cases despite being in MCO for I think close to two weeks now um, but the Health Director General uh, Dr. Nohisham Abdullah did say that previously that the country need at least four weeks to reduce daily COVID-19 infections mm. to between 500 to 1 1- thousand cases a day so I think we're in for a long haul and uh, if people continue to flout as obese it will make things just so much more difficult.
2: But the thing is he also mentioned that we probably would not be hitting the four thousand mark at least until February and then Mm. we've hit four thousand just quite recently is it because people are just not are tired of it? Is it just they've, they're exhausted with with COVID, do mm-hmm. you think?
1: One thing we need to look at is the cases that we're seeing right now, is that a lag effect? So we've only been in lockdown for about less than two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. So this could be cases from before the lockdown and what we're actually seeing the numbers right now. So I don't think it's a way to completely eliminate cases. It's just to manage it in a way that the hospitals can cope, the quarantine centers can cope, and then also to allow people to get some semblance of normalcy in their life to go back to work. It's going to be continuous. I mean, we thought 2020 was the worst year ever, and, and uh, <laughs> hey, we're in 2021, we're still in a lockdown, and travel's not allowed, and I don't think that's going to be a solution anytime soon. Maybe with the vaccine rollout. So Joe Biden was sworn in as the 46th POTUS
0: recently. What can we expect to change in the U.S.-China relations?
1: U.S.-China relations have been probably the worst since a long time under Trump's administration. I think it's too early to say what will happen between the bilateral relations between both countries. What we have seen is years of tension with China under Donald Trump that has led to a bitter trade war that Mm. has affected countries everywhere. It has shifted the uh, global trading environment. What remains to be seen if Biden will change or reverse some of Trump's uh, protectionist policy, you know, America first agenda. I think Biden has, has indicated even before he was uh, sworn in that he will try to energize, re-energize free trade uh, as it looks to take its place as the world leader once again, to take its uh, place as um, somebody to bring the world together, which we saw has been lacking during Trump's time. So, but how much of Trump's policy he will undo when it comes to China, this probably will play out in the next few months. Now, why I say that it's too early to tell because Biden's first few days in office, you know, he has announced uh, rollbacks on major policies or initiatives from Trump, yeah. such as, uh, rejoining of the Paris Climate Accord uh, Scrapping a ban on travelers from Muslim-majority nations But uh, if you guys notice, he has yet to announce anything about China So yeah. it, mm. it seems like he is in no rush to change any of Trump's policies pertaining to China uh, Some of them are billions, I think it was about 3 or $350 billion worth of tariffs on Chinese imports restriction on Chinese tech firms. So uh, this will be the key indicators to look out for if uh, maybe we talk about US-China relations.
0: So how does the new president affect Malaysia's business partnership with the US and China?
1: Um, for the time being, I don't think there will be uh, much impact Uh, for now as you have mentioned that Biden is probably more inward looking at this point to clean the house or to sort out issues Mm. in the US itself. And also uh, with
2: all the COVID stuff that he has to deal with right now. Yes,
1: so the economy, the health issue, the um, racial issues in the US. So I think he will probably spend quite some time to get that sorted. But you know, there's a saying, either the US or China sneezes the whole world catches a cold. (laughs) these are the two biggest economies in the world. And their relationship with Malaysia, we have strong ties with both nations. Mm. So we haven't been actively choosing one over the other. So we want to maintain ties with both nations. So I do not see uh, immediate benefits to the Malaysian economy from the change in White House at this time. But Joe Biden had promised to put America more out there, you know, to play a larger and more active role in Asia-Pacific, two areas. One is security, because China has been more assertive military-wise in Asia-Pacific, and I think in the economy as well. So this could eventually pave the way for more meaningful business developments. We might see more U.S. companies look to ASEAN and maybe Malaysia for expansion, perhaps once uh, international travel is made possible again.
0: So let's talk the high-speed rail project, linking KL and other stops along the way with Singapore, which has been officially cancelled. But now the Johor state government has apparently agreed terms with the island Republic to go ahead with the RTS, the rapid transit system, which will ease the burden of Johor Singaporeans and Singaporeans having to travel between the two countries in which is the busiest international crossing in the world. Why is this or is it a better alternative to the HSR?
1: Well, Asha, to answer your question, if this is a better alternative to the HSR, we need to understand the difference in terms of the objectives of what HSR and the uh, RTS the rapid transit system aim to achieve so the HSR uh, had aimed to mostly just to reduce travel time between Singapore and KL to around 90 minutes from uh, right now I think if you were to go by the uh, KTM is about 11 hours yes so, yes wow that's yeah, like really well.
0: that's <laughs> so long there's
2: a slight reduction only by like <laughs> 10 hours right
0: wow
1: and if you to drive what it was about four four, four and hours? hours I do four, I four hours drive, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I think the idea was to to reduce that travel time and increase hopes that it will, the improved connectivity will uh, be better for business and economy, right? Mm. So that's HSR, that's the objective of HSR. Mm. On the other hand, the RTS, which connects Singapore And JB Johor Bahru. It's mostly, like Asha said, to ease the burden of commuters travelling daily on the causeway to Singapore and vice versa. You know, some Singaporeans to Malaysia Mm -hmm. to JB. So really, to facilitate that movement between Malaysians and Singaporeans. So they have different objectives. So, but now the the question is, people do ask. So, what about KL to Singapore? You know, we're hoping to get there in nineteen minutes. We do have something called the RTS Gemas double track railway line that is under development Mm -hmm. Um, so this double track will be constructed all the way to KL Central and uh, some people think that it's a duplicate of the high-speed rail as both lines aim to link KL with Singapore. But of course, with this double-track Gurmas line, it will still take um, estimated about three to four hours to get to Singapore. Does it use the same
2: line and also the same stations as what was planned for the HSR for this new one?
1: No, it won't be because uh, HSR was planned to depart from Bandar, Malaysia, like the the main station within Bandar, Malaysia. Mm. And HSR was meant to stop in eight cities, so, they, I think Saramban, Alostar, Malacca yep. were some of the cities that it had planned to stop. And people were excited because of the potential multiplier effect it could bring to mm. these cities. But um, again, it's, it comes down to cost, you not know, at a time where the country is just struggling financially to, to mitigate the impact of uh, COVID 19. Will the money be better spent elsewhere Mm. instead of building another rail line? And some see it as a duplicate to the Gamas double track. So, Cynthia,
0: thank you so much. But I think really we want to hear more about your new show,
1: Awani Tonight. So tell us about your new show. Well, Awani Tonight is a news program. Uh, It's a news bulletin. So, I guess a bit of uh, similarities to front page. Yes, we
2: realized it, yeah.
1: <laughs> but I mean, the idea is to, you know, we cover major headlines mm-hmm. of the day. We feature facts, insights, and bite-sized analysis. That's the key point we want to uh, emphasize here because... By 9:45 p.m., which this show airs, you probably got uh, received all the information you need through Twitter, Facebook. Uh, what we want to do is to give you context to the news, all in 15 minutes. So we air Monday to Fridays, 9:45 p.m., to recap news of the day. But it's not just about reporting. You know, we want to bring add some context uh, to the news and to present it in a way that it's uh, concise and um, easy consume
2: so for the regular Joe to pick some sense of the news
1: yeah because uh, you know these days uh, we're living in an age where there's just too much information so mm. how can we help audience make sense of and overcome that challenging situation of news overload so mm. that's one of the fundamental reasons behind this effort is to also live up to the current times of delivering concise news because our attention span is getting <laughs> shorter so we want to cut through the noise ask pertinent questions dissect statements and arguments of of major news of the day so that our audience is equipped with uh, information they need to evaluate, make informed decisions and opinions. So again, no, not just to report the news which you can get on Twitter, Facebook. You want to brain and context and opinion as well from our experts
2: how wide does the coverage get i mean like do you cover international news everything as well
1: yeah so it, it really depends on what happens in the day the news flow of the day so we will also cover international news if it's big enough then we will take it and analyze it and so what we are saying is a 15 minutes news show right seven minutes of top two major stories of the day where we dissect we go in depth and then the rest will do a wrap up on here's uh, what has happened in the day and here's what you need to know